You're listening to The Reading Riot. books or what hello everybody and welcome back to the reading riot podcast with your host kim yeah that's me so welcome back and i got another great episode for you i've got connor matthew and his girlfriend lauren from the date night roundtable podcast you also may know connor from all his book reels on instagram that is how i stumbled upon his account and he is flipping hilarious And I was really stoked to have the opportunity to just chat with these two. Um, Their podcast really drew me in with just how raw and natural they are with each other. And it just made for great listening. So if you're looking for another podcast, definitely check out Date Night Roundtable. They talk about books, movies, just life in general. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So it's completely off topic, but have you guys watched Stranger Things? Yes. Stranger Things season four has just rocked my world and I cannot stop thinking about it. If I may, my queen, some listeners may not want to hear spoilers. Okay, 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 Roxy. I heard ya. No spoilers, I promise. For those who wish to skip forward anyway, please go to three minutes and 20 seconds. Okay, then. So as I was saying, season four really meant a lot to me um, because of where they filmed. So I'm not giving like any major spoilers away. They did have some scenes that quote unquote took place in California. No, they were filmed in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is where I am from. And in the first episode, a certain character is in the courtyard of this high school and it's my courtyard of El Dorado High School, which is where I went to school. And it just like, it, it was so emotional watching it because I was like, oh my gosh, I ate lunch at that courtyard. I mean, I walked those hallways. I had lockers in those scenes. Like it just, it was just a wonderful, you know, visual experience because it just kept triggering all these amazing memories of living in New Mexico and growing up and being the same age of those characters at that same time. So yeah, it, it was, it was, it just meant a whole lot to me because this show in general just means a lot to me. I just think it's so well-written. I think each episode has a beautiful arc and you know, the Duffer brothers really have created something super special and iconic. And yeah, the show just means the world to me. I've already watched, I think, season four three times <laughs> because it is just that flipping good. And then when I haven't been watching Stranger Things lately, I have really been putting a lot of time into querying and getting ready for that. I have written my query letter, I swear to you, like 20 times. I think I finally have a nice draft. Again, it's not even polished. Um to try to use this month. So anyone who is at the same stage of their writing journey, I just, I feel you. It's this new challenge I have yet to overcome and I'm still learning and getting my bearings on how to do it. So uh, me and Connor definitely talk about it later in the episode. So if you're a writer and you're at that stage, this is a great episode for you because 
me and Connor really give kind of some insights as to what it's like querying. And if you haven't started querying it and you're about to start querying, okay, we're going to, we're going to lay it all out for you. So before I bring on Connor and Lauren, I wanted to give the word of the month. That's right. Did you guys forget? I hope not. So if you're looking for those gems to add to your novels, I've got you covered. Roxy, can you please read us the word of the month? The word of the month is nefarious, which means flagrantly wicked or evil. Thank you very much, Roxy. So I think we all can relate to this word because I think we all have a nefarious character within our stories. As writers, they're essential. So anyway, let's get into it. Super excited to start this episode with you guys. Roxy, take it away. Connecting guest to the Reading Riot podcast. Connection complete. All right, everyone. I would like to welcome the king of bookstagram, Connor Matthew, and his very lovable, amazing, so funny girlfriend from the Date Night Roundtable podcast. Say hey. The king. I feel... I'm wow. sweating. I'm flattered. I'm red. I'm blushing. You think I'm funny? Fine, <laughs> <laughs> you crack me up. I listen to your guys' podcast when I'm at work, and I have to, like, hold in the laughter because I just don't want them to think I'm messing around and I'm not working. <laughs> but you guys crack me up. You were so hilarious. Well, I'm, see, I'm not used to that. Everything I say, like, around the house, Connor just kind of shrugs me off. He doesn't, he doesn't ag- acknowledge my funniness. I adore it. I think you're hilarious, and I connect with you on so many levels. Look at that. Someone connects with me. That's, yeah, you clearly have an audience, <laughs> a, a very niche audience. <laughs> of one person. <laughs> totally not. No, I connected with you the moment you said you had a love for Katniss Everdeen, and then the story of you telling your boss what book you were reading, which was A, co- a Court of Thorns and Roses. <laughs> oh, and he thought I said, wait, this is when I said, I said Akatar, and he thought I said Avatar, and he was like, oh, my son loves those books, and I was like, ooh. Not the same books. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. But yes, you guys, welcome to the show. We are very excited. Yeah. This is actually our first guest appearance on a podcast. And our podcast kind of spawned out of absolute nothingness. Like we were just bored one day and I was like, we should just record one of these many conversations we have just to see how ridiculous we sound. And It did not disappoint because we did sound very ridiculous. And (laughs) at this point, it's like just as much for our family and friends as it is for us, because it's like a good way for them to kind of know what's going on in our lives when when we haven't talked to them for a little bit. But yeah, we've just listening back. It's funny. I cringe a lot. We've been through a lot. It's like a funny little time capsule. And I'm glad we could share our first time on the other end of it with you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Your podcast is amazing. So if you guys haven't heard of it, it is the Date Night Roundtable, available everywhere. Go listen to it right now. Yeah, we need to post more episodes, honestly. (laughs) We're so infrequent, it's bad. It's the same with my YouTube videos, too. Like, we'll do three in one month, and then you won't hear from us for half a year. (laughs) So, Well, it's hard. I mean, we do a lot of traveling and... Uh, and our like summers are really booked so we're just so focused on like going to the beach and dude I don't blame you you yeah. just went on in a little adventure just now right you went to Yosemite I think yeah yes. we actually just 
got back from California on, I think, a couple days ago. There goes our dehumidifier. That sounds like a bomb kicking off. But um, yeah, we just got back from California a couple days ago. We live in Pennsylvania, so it was a bit of a, a cross-country trip there. And uh, yeah, we saw Yosemite, Sequoia. We went to wine country. We went to oh Bodega Bay, which is the home of of an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And it was really cool and misty and creepy. Oh, cool. it was, we were just vibing out there. It was pretty cool. Oh, great. you were living your best lives. We were. Oh, yeah. It was like absolutely wonderful. And it's like so different. The West Coast is so different from the East Coast. And uh, just the mountains there. Like we saw, what was the El Capitan? Yes. Oh, my. It beautiful absolutely breathtaking oh i miss mountains i live in new orleans and it is just swamp flatland for miles (laughs) isn't that like mosquitoes for days (laughs) yes yes and gnats like they're they will never go away oh that's awful in the humidity it's just you know i'm just sweat just thinking about it I'm like Lauren. I am getting so excited for fall so then I can have like my pumpkin spice latte and live that moment. Listen, I love <laughs> fall. Some people hate on the East Coast, but there's one thing that I love about it, like in like the in Northeast, is that we get all four seasons. So we get fall and we get winter and we get to enjoy pumpkin spice. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, I'm, I'm so jealous because it is just like nonstop hot, like well, all the time. Right. And like, I feel like that's nice when, I mean, when we're like freezing in the winter time and we have six inches of snow, it's a little <laughs> different. I would probably want to be in New Orleans, but you know, the fall, you can't beat it. So, Connor, tell me about some of your favorite authors, because I know you've talked about that on your YouTube channel, and I know you're a big fan of Stephen King. Yeah, that's that's kind of been what I've like. I lean into it here and there, and then sometimes I'm like, I can't just be... There's so many just like Stephen King guys out there, and I didn't just <laughs> want to be another one of them. But it's it's still my first instinct when I'm like, what do I want to read I'll just grab another Stephen King book. And I've slowly been making my way through all of his books through the years. But honestly, it was it was when I was younger, I just every kind of there's like studies on it that like boys go through in like the middle school age where it's like not cool to read anymore, whether it's (laughs) just like social pressures or some weird, fragile masculinity driven thing like reading just isn't cool. So I would get my sort of like storytelling through video games and horror movies. And then when I wanted to read more again, my mom was like, here's Stephen King. You're going to love him. And I did. (laughs) So kind of everything I've I've progressed to is sort of rooted in the different aspects of his writing. So now I love fantasy a lot. And I read his Dark Tower series. So I've grown to love authors like Neil Gaiman and and yeah. I've been reading like a lot of Brandon Sanderson and like this epic fantasy. And I just uh, read the whole Lord of the Rings series. So now I'm like just wanting to read about elves and <laughs> dwarves and stuff. And I'm just I'm so all over the place because I also I, I majored in English in college. So I'm also uh-huh. like tied to the classics here and there. And I can be a little bit of a snob with those. But then I'll be reading about like a, a rabid dog attacking a family in some small town Stephen King wrote about. So yeah, Cujo, I'm just all right? over the place. Yes. Yeah. Cujo. <laughs> well, Connor, you're a writer, not just a reader. Tell us about your work in progress. Yeah, that's a thing. So I 
Oh my goodness. It's such a battle. I saw, like, I know you and your, in your Instagram bio, it says you're querying with your yes. work in progress right now. So yeah. I'm, I know you can relate to like how arduous a task that can be. Oh, and yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's exhausting sometimes. And you know, you read and you research how like how much should I be querying? What should I be doing? And what should the batches look like? How long should I wait? All this stuff. So I I went through all that with the first book I read, which in hindsight is just like not, or the first book I wrote, which in hindsight yeah. is not a good book. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say like I had to write it because it was in my head and it was a story I wanted to tell. It was a horror novel that the first draft was like 110,000 words. And by the time I advanced in my my skill as a writer, I realized it needed to be more like 75 or 80,000 words. Oh, dang. Yeah. So that was a task. And that was after I'd already like done a round of querying. And I was like, this is a, this lost cause. This can just be something fun to look back on. It was about like a family whose kid gets kidnapped and then the kid comes back and they realize it's not their actual kid. It's a blast. I, I dabbled in some short story stuff. I think I've only written like a handful of short stories and then this past fall into this spring of 2022 i worked pretty extensively on my second novel which is sort of like a dark portal fantasy so there's like aspects Ooh. of reality and humans being humans on earth but then there's obviously like a like a you know transportation to this other sort of this other world and it's very twin peaks with some like Stephen King and other mystical elements. And, uh, I feel like that's a much better book than my first one. Lauren read it. Maybe she can speak on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely the second time. The second book was a lot better, you know? And I mean, I may be biased because I was like, cause I'm in a fantasy phase right now. So the fantasy like really hit home. Um, but definitely better characters, better world building. Yeah. We don't have to say everything was better. It was you just know? so much better. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> no, Connor, I am here for it. Both stories sound super good. Like if you need beta readers, just just holler. I'm definitely gonna I I def I need to go through like another round of revision which i'm currently in just some you know some continuity stuff and and adding a couple scenes here and there yeah. but i'm definitely going to reach out to some people for for beta reading and i'll probably very reluctantly get back into querying but you know traditional publishing can be a real just a real club to the face sometimes and yeah. it, it it makes me consider you know like indie publishing and self-publishing uh more and more as time goes on because i started writing that first novel when i was 22 and now i just turned you know 25 three weeks ago and i'm i'm on my second book and things don't always feel the most hopeful and i want to get my stuff out there so sometimes i'm like i should i should just self-publish this so my you know my cousins and my brother can read it and i'll keep moving on <laughs> <laughs> oh i have a lot of friends though who actually i'm a, actually all of them um they're all indie writers right. um, and they love it because of the independence it gives them the control of formatting it choosing their cover the title um you know 
not changing anything. Um, one of my friends, she had tried queering and an agent reached back to her and she's like, your world is too similar to another story. You're going to have to change it. And she's like, what? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, that's... Up independently publishing it and good for her, man. Because like I, her story sounds super killer and she didn't have to compromise anything. For real. And that's that's kind of the, the rub of... of... Traditional publishing is you you get so as as a writer you get so connected to the to the world you're building and the characters you're writing and they feel so real in your mind and then if somebody who you've never really met just kind of says you need to change X Y and Z and make this you know sixty percent different than what it what it actually is and what you sort of fell in love with writing it just doesn't it feels icky you know and, yeah. and I don't know I I, I still grapple with with the feedback that I've gotten and the the lack of feedback I've gotten with the dozen or so form rejections I've gotten. And it just makes you kind of cynical about the whole thing sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like writing the book itself is like climbing a mountain, but then queering is like challenging yourself to climb Everest. You're like, what, what? Like this seems harder than writing the book. It And it is. And I'm so, I'm sure you can already tell by the way I answer questions, but I can be long-winded sometimes <laughs> and kind of go on tangents and try to explain things a little too thoroughly. So the the like trying to query and and create a synopsis that is only one page long when I just wrote 110,000 words is way harder for me than like sitting down and being like, I'm going to write 4,000 words today. It's so much harder for me to write a paragraph that sums up my entire body at work. I know exactly. And then there's a structure to that query letter where you got to make sure you got to include X, Y, Z to even appeal to an agent. So yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky business for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. Okay, well, you've told me your preference, and I know, Lauren, you're into fantasy as well. Have you guys read Jay Kristoff? Because I'm telling you, he has got to be added to your TBR. I don't think I I don't think I have read Jay Kristoff. Oh. Oh. The, the name oh. sounds familiar. What what are some of the book titles? Uh, okay, so he's done Nevernight. Um, he's he just came out with his most recent series, is Empire of the Vampire, um, which is like a Oh, it's so good. It's all adult too, which is awesome. Um, it's about that. like vampire killer because his mom had sex with a vampire. And so <laughs> he's kind of like a bastard child and people kind of hate him, but he goes around killing the real full blood vampires and it's a killer story. Oh, um, nice. Night, yes. Nevernight <laughs> is about an assassin um, who is seeking revenge for the death of her family by going after the government that is in charge of their society. And then you've got to check out Aurora Rising. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yes. yes that's yes. where it is. I was waiting for it. <laughs> yes. And he partnered with Amy Kaufman on mm -hmm. that one. And that one's more YA, but his other stuff is super adult and it's so good. I think I think you guys would like it. Yeah, the the vampire one sounds like like if Jon Snow was a, a was a bastard vampire. That's he what was I was like, gonna say. Screw the Seven Kingdoms and Joffrey. I'm gonna just go ham on these Murder these fools. Them all. Oh, it's so good because the vampires in it, like, so you turn randomly. So some people turn immediately and they look beautiful and immortal forever. But then there's other people who've been rotting in a lake for two weeks and then they come back and they're kind of like a vampire zombie. 
be. So like their, their minds are kind of mush because their body has been rotting. And so they just have the instinct to kill. Whereas the, are uh, the more like beautiful vampires, like have their intelligence. So it's like a crazy mix. And then the, sun has disappeared so they can be out longer it's it's crazy it's a cool cool story kind of apocalyptic that does sound awesome it sounds right down my alley (laughs) (laughs) check it out and what he also did is he partnered with an artist and so there's like different um character artwork in between the pages like randomly it's so good oh that's awesome i love that i love when authors include as much artwork as possible and and we'll, we'll, like the Dark Tower, I always talk, I'm doing it again with the Stephen King then. <laughs> but the, the Dark Tower, the hardback editions and sort of like the original editions, there's these amazing commissioned like art pieces some from some of the most like pivotal scenes in the whole series that just paint such an amazing picture and are like a nice break from the action. And I just wish... Cool. That was a more of a normal thing in books. Like I love artwork and I love pairing artwork with amazing literature. And if that could just be a little bit more normalized, we would all be happier. I think it, I think it's on its way to going that direction, honestly. I think with the amount of artists nowadays, and I plan to, with my own novels, do that because I thought that was just a way to kind of have a full circle moment for your book. And Lauren, I think you've probably seen this on Instagram, but they're doing like those clear kind of art inserts that you can buy. Um, and they did it for a Kotar, this artist. Um, and so they have certain scenes from that series that you can just kind of stick in like a bookmark, which is really cool. Oh, I know. I haven't seen them before. That sounds awesome, though. I look at a lot of reels of fan art because <laughs> I become obsessed with with series. So then I I just like look at fan art for days. Um, and I know that they're like artists are starting to take like fan art but then they smear the picture and they make it look like like a night sky or something and then they slowly like like it sees like the two characters together i don't know have you seen them before oh i'm gonna have to check that out oh it's it's beautiful because you you first look at the picture it just looks like um some sort of outdoor like scenery nighttime or whatever but then it slowly fades and and it'll be like the two characters who had a love story or whatever and you're just like oh wow so beautiful (laughs) what are some other books you're reading lauren Oh, I am in the, what do we call this? A reading slump. slump. I'm in a reading slump. Um, I had to take a, I'm in grad school right now. So I was in a grad class and that pretty much sucked away a bunch of my reading because I had to read all these articles. So I was doing that. And then I'm a little bit obsessed with Animal Crossing. Um. So is my sister. So I feel you. I know all about it. She's shown me her house, layouts, her little neighbors. So I get you. Yeah, so I'm a little obsessed with that. So I spend, I don't know, three to four hours a day on <laughs> on there. So reading isn't in the works right now, but I did pick up a book yesterday. Right, Connor? Do you know what book you picked up? I, I do. Um, I'm reading the Mirror Visitor series. Have you heard of it? No. Um, it's So they're originally written in French, 
And then they, who is it? Christine Diablos. Uh, so she's French. And so obviously they were uh, published in, in French and then they took some other person took and they translated it to English. Um, and there's four books in the series. Um, it's called the Mirror Visitor series. I don't remember. I'm on the fourth book. It's the last book. Don't remember what it's called, but I did pick it up yesterday. I didn't read any of it, but I picked it up and that's all that matters. Exactly. There you go. Yes. <laughs> all right, Connor, final question. Do you got any writing advice for our listeners that you've learned your years of writing? Writing advice. It's tough because sometimes I don't feel like I'm the best person to give this advice, but I do think there are some things I've picked up definitely in the past year or so that have helped me out a lot. And one thing if I had to give one piece, it would be that routine is king with writing. If you create and cultivate a habit of of sort of avoiding it and not wanting to do it at all and being afraid that you're going to screw up, then you're just never going to write anything. Right. And some of those days where you feel the worst, like I also do a lot of distance running, like I've run a couple marathons and stuff. And the days when you don't feel like running at all are sometimes the best days. And I feel like it's the same thing with writing. When I feel like I don't have a single scene in my mind and nothing is clicking, just, you know, even if it comes to like setting a timer for 25 minutes and saying, okay, for these next 25 minutes, I'm not going to look anywhere else except my screen. And I'm, I'm just going to type whether it's 10 words or a thousand words, I'm just going to type. And sort of forcing yourself to do that just creates that continuous daily habit of making writing a priority. And, and I think the best way to feel better about writing and get better at writing is, is just to write on a regular basis. And it's not necessarily always that, that quantity beats quality, but I think that the only way to like flesh out the deeper issues you're having with your writing is to sort of sit down with your writing in the first place and, and put some work in because the, the longer you avoid it, the, the more that just becomes sort of normal in your life. And the next thing you know, you haven't written in a month. And, and I just think sitting down every day is the best thing you can do. So would you consider yourself a pantser or a planner? So I read, here comes Stephen King alert. I read, um, on writing the memoir on the craft was the first sort of like thing I wasn't assigned to read about writing in my, my sort of writing journey. And if people know anything about Stephen King's writing process is he is like where the term pantser comes from. Exactly. He, yes. I asked. <laughs> yeah. He, he sits down and he has been, you know, a paraphrase. He, he doesn't know the ending. He doesn't even know anything close to the ending. He just kind of introduces his characters to, to a situation and sort of lets his, pen or fingers on his keys guide him from there. And that's the way I wrote my first book. And it was incredibly, incredibly difficult to revise. And yeah. it just wasn't the, the writing part was fun. And it was sort of like a puzzle that I was trying to solve. And I realized how hard it was on the second draft. So with the second book I wrote, I said, I'm going to know every single beat, every single scene, every single aspect of the beginning, middle and end before I even begin to write this book. And I found that a lot more stress free 
and I felt like it produced a better product, at least in my own opinion and my girlfriend Lauren's opinion as well, I guess. Um, so I think I'm fully subscribed to the planner method at this point. I do like improvise a scene here and there. I don't plan it quote by quote or line by line or paragraph by paragraph. I just kind of do like a bullet point per chapter and then I kind of let the magic happen. But uh, I'm definitely a planner at this point. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm like a mix. Honestly, I feel like I'm like right in that happy medium, like right in between because I'm like you, I know my beats, but I don't really plan the in between. I'm, I kind of just like sit down and see where my characters take me, how they would naturally react to something. Oh, if I'm feeling like it's getting like a lull, I'm like, I need something to happen here. So I, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of in the middle. I feel like I can't consider myself one or the other. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely they say for your first draft you should not backtrack at all. You should just write it sort of straight through. Yeah. And I constantly fall a victim of sort of backtracking a chapter and saying, "I don't know if I like what happened here. I'm going to change it." And one of the things that sort of uh, kind of what you said, you're sort of in between is another piece of writing advice that I heard is that you should Approach every chapter you write so that it can be any reader's favorite chapter. So you should write every chapter like one of your readers, at least one out of however many read your book, are going to be like, okay, that was my favorite chapter. There shouldn't be any like mundane lulls or like any chapters that are just like getting from point A to B and that's like its only function. So I constantly like have that in the back of my mind that like, okay, I need to make this chapter memorable in some way. So I'll often backtrack and try to do that in some way. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm also in between in some way. That's probably one of my favorite things you've said during this episode. It You got to make it someone's favorite chapter. Like I'm literally going to take that away from this moment and carry it with me the rest of my life. Cause that is just the best advice I think I've ever heard. Yeah, it was, it was, de it definitely like it, it just stuck with me when I heard it. And there was the, there's this awesome Brandon Sanderson. Some people love him. Some people think he's overrated, but if anything, he's an extremely generous person in the publishing industry because he made his whole entire uh, creative writing class at BYU free on YouTube. And they are literal full length lectures from one of the best-selling authors of the past two decades. And I feel like every single video I watched had like at least four or five pieces of advice like that, that were just like, oh, I can't, I can't believe I wasn't thinking about this that way before. Like, I can't believe he just made it sound that easy, but I couldn't put it into words or solve the problem in, in you know, X, Y, Z or way. It, it just, everything sort of started to click after I watched those videos. So if you need to like ever brush up on a couple of things, or if you're like, I, I need to sort of work myself out of something, watching his lectures was one of the best things I did. Well, uh, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing this weekend. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I, bin I binged them like a Netflix show. And I felt like <laughs> such a nerd. I was like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> I love it. That's part of being like an adult. We still have like our things that we like guilty pleasures, but they're not guilty pleasures because we shouldn't feel ashamed of them. Exactly. I love that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Are you guys ready for some short stories? I am ready. 
Ah! Are you ready, Lauren? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) I contributed nothing to this story, but I'm so ready. Stoked. You're going to be our audience. Like, I really am. I'll cheer for both of you. Oh, my God. I love it so much. Okay, so guests get to pick first. Connor, do you want to read first or second? Um... I'll go second. All right. So the prompt was, did you press the button? Alder demanded with gritted teeth. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Short Stories with Kim Riot. Enjoy bookworm. Did you press the button? Alder demanded with gritted teeth. I had to, I admitted watching the last emergency pod float into the deep abyss of space, full of our refugees. Alder turned his attention to me. This was the moment I had been dreading, my final stand. I was no longer on his side. He chose to back the Willamette, an alien species who wiped out half of Earth's population. The Neptune's alarms blared in my ears, and I watched as the love of my life turned into an enemy before my very eyes. You are a traitor, Terran. Refusing to yield a step, I stood my ground. No, you are. With that, I pulled my laser pistol and shot the spare air tank by Alder's feet. A cloud of white mist filled the control room, and I sprinted through the airlock doors, sealing them closed with my keycard. The doors would hold until he could override the system, long enough for me to get ahead. The Willamette had succeeded in destroying our engines, which meant this ship wasn't going anywhere. The bottom level still had air. When I got there, I could ditch my suit. Shields are down, the AI disclosed over the intercom. Shit, I spat. Think, Terran, think. If the shields were down, that meant the Willamette had already begun infiltrating our ship, which also meant their docked ships would be empty. All I had to do was avoid their soldiers. Looking up with a grin, I found my new route. With no help from my spacesuit, I squeezed into the narrow air vent until finally I got stuck. Every single movie had got this wrong. This wasn't some easy way to escape. It was a claustrophobic hell. My breath came quickly in and out, and I felt like I couldn't breathe, even with my air tank. This plan had gone to shit. Never again would I risk my life based on some fictitious Hollywood script. I let my head fall and attempted to get myself together. You know you're too big to be in here, right? Glancing awkwardly up, a giant pair of big green eyes stared back at me. It was Abby, the mothership's captain's half-human, half-Nauten daughter. Nautens were from the sea planet named Luki. Instead of arms and legs, they had long tentacles. Since Abby was half-human, only her legs revealed her Nauten ancestry. What are you doing here, Abby? I thought you made it onto the skate pod. And leave you? Absolutely not. Before I could say another word, a group of Willamette soldiers stomped below us, completely unaware of who hovered above them. Silently, Abby took my hand and closed her eyes. Along with their spectacular swimming abilities, Naughton could teleport, which meant Abby was about to get me unstuck. With a jolt, we landed in an empty hallway. Ah, thanks for that, I said, rubbing my bruised backside. Anytime, she tutted. Don't you move, scum, a Willamette soldier barked coming out of nowhere. Not a chance, Abby replied with a venomous smile, grabbing my hand in hers. 
Before I could comprehend we had even moved, both of us landed in a new wing and we began to run. As we turned the corner, another Willemeny soldier blocked our path. With my pistol already aimed, I downed the invader and Abby tugged me around his smoking corpse. To the docking bay! I shouted above the still blaring alarm. With one short turn, we would actually make it. All thanks to Abby. As we rounded the bend, a horde of soldiers guarded the entrance. Once they saw us, the soldiers raised their laser pistols and fired. Abby didn't hesitate and teleported us out of the line of fire. This time, we landed with a splash. Abby! I cried as I began to sink. In a second, she was to me, holding us above the surface. Sorry, I forgot you can't swim in this. Compared to my suit, Abby's suit was light and thin since her body could already withstand immense pressure from living in her deep oceans. Just then a tall fin encircled us. Then another. My voice shook as I spoke. Abby, which tank did you choose? Unfortunate for us, we had a one in three chance it was the hookspin dolphin tank. Being that the other two tanks housed some of the most aggressive sea life that space had to offer. That was the job of the spaceship Neptune, after all, to safely transfer wildlife to other solar systems. To my dismay, Abby replied, You mean there's a difference? A prickly tentacle answered my question as it wrapped around my foot. Immediately, I was dragged down, coming face to face with a Tuthida selichomorpha, also known as a squid shark. Looking exactly how it sounds, the beast opened its jaws, showing off its razor-sharp teeth. Thankfully, my pistol was waterproof, and I shot two warning shots to scare it. The squid shark dodged the blast, swimming above me. I kicked my feet to no avail, only to feel myself sink deeper into the tank. I didn't stop till I reached the bottom. The light from the surface faded, leaving me alone in the dark. I kept my pistol raised, but my hand shook. Down in the deep, I was like a beacon in my spacesuit every button and headlight alerting all the creatures in my vicinity. Refusing to wait for an attack, I turned on the flash beam of my pistol and circled round. I couldn't count on Abby this time. I wasn't even sure where she was. This battle was mine to face. One by one, pairs of glowing red eyes reflected my light in the dark. This tank held exactly 30 squid sharks, and I knew this because I had loaded them aboard myself. They were no longer the endangered species. It was me. I shot another warning shot and the beast retreated a few feet. With every tank, there was an escape hatch for emergencies. And damn, this was one. I tapped my remote console awake on my arm. The AI's voice buzzed in the water. Please speak your commands. Illuminate tank three, emergency exit, I commanded. Another tentacle reached for my foot and I nicked it with a single shot. Please repeat, the AI inquired. Holy hell, this dumb robot was going to get me killed. I repeated the command as a squid shark brushed its tail behind my back. Like most predatory animals, these beasts enjoyed the hunt. But what they enjoyed more was playing with their food first. Even after saving them from extinction, I got no special treatment. Command accepted, the AI announced. An orange doorway appeared to my left, revealing all 30 squid sharks blocking the way, working together as a herd. Before I discovered Alder's betrayal, I had put hours upon hours into saving this endangered species from the Willamette, which meant I knew exactly what would piss off a squid shark. Noise, and lots of it. With quick fingers, I skipped 
bomb discs along the bottom of the tank floor, a gadget of my own making. The discs skidded under the bellies of the squid sharks, going unnoticed. Unlike the Willamette, I had no intent to kill these blood-craving beasts, only to distract them. I primed the discs on my console, and their yellow lights flashed to signal the countdown. I had one shot at this, because I needed my air tank to do it. Eyeing the carnivorous fish, I hooked my fingers around my airline. Here goes nothing. I then tapped my console, triggering my bomb discs. I exploded with loud snaps and bursts. Non-lethal, of course. And they spooked the squid sharks. They all swam frantically away. I took the biggest breath of my life and pulled the airline. Air shot out of my suit like a rocket and barreled me towards the emergency door. Smacking clean against it, I fumbled for my keycard. As I reached for it, a piercing tentacle snatched my wrist. One squid shark remained, and it opened its mouth to finish me off in a single bite. Bracing myself for a painful death, I made my peace with my last lungful of air. Before I could meet my maker, Abby swam from the depths of the dark and hit the squid shark defensively with her tentacles, aiming for its sensitive eyes. The beast roared and retreated. Black specks clouded my vision as my breath finally ran out. No, Taryn! Abby screamed and snatched my keycard from the sand and hit it against the keypad. The doors opened like a mouth and swallowed us whole. Before my lungs burst, the airlock drained the water and I sucked down glorious mouthfuls of air. <sighs> Remind me to never put you in charge of navigation, I joked breathlessly. Abby only glared. Ha ha! Not my fault, I can only teleport to places I've seen. What? I asked, my eyes going wide. Then that means... Before I could finish, the opposing door shot open to reveal Alder. Still slouched on the floor, he launched himself upon me, hands squeezing my neck. You will die for this! He spat. I hit his face, his neck, any place to stop his deadly embrace. Get off her! Abby shouted and tackled him from behind. Alder lost his grip and threw Abby back. I spun on the floor, knocking Alder's legs out beneath him. With a roll, I dived out of the airlock, sealing the doors behind me. Alder slammed his fists against them. Let me out! Not a chance, I declared. Alder glared and began searching his pockets. Looking for this? Abby said, holding Alder's keycard aloft. His face dropped. What was it you said? You wanted Taryn dead? No! He screamed. Let us return the favor. And with one click of a button, the squid sharks had their lunch. Come on, Abby. Time to teleport us to the mothership. We have war to wage. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> they ate Adler? Alder. Yes, I'm oh. sorry, he died. Alder, sorry, I said Adler. <laughs> so he's dead? Yeah, I killed him off. Oh, wow. He needed killing, in my opinion, as well. <laughs> I decided I wanted to go the sci-fi route the moment the button was involved. I was like, they need to be on a spaceship. That was my that was my first reaction, too. And I'm so glad I didn't end up going that way. But I'm so glad you did, because I love everything outer space or underwater related, like the two extremes that we have as humans any book or story that it's about that, like I'm here for it because I'm so anxious about it in real life that when it's placed in a fictional context, I'm like, I can do this and it's going to have me hooked. And that that whole 
sequence was I was like literally biting nails, teeth chattering, wondering what was going to happen. Abby was the Sam Gamgee we all needed. The sassy little Sam Gamgee. I love her. Yes, yes. I like... I was like, I want her to end up somewhere weird because I don't know if you guys have seen um, Valerian, but it's basically <laughs> the ship where all these different alien species come together and they contribute to this kind of like living planet. It's not even a planet. It's just a bunch of ships. And um, I was like, I want to do something like that. So yeah, she ended up in a tank. <laughs> That is so cool. I mean, it makes sense. There's a bunch of conspiracy theories about <laughs> aliens that live at the bottom of the ocean, right? <laughs> Dude, I wouldn't be surprised. Because, <laughs> like, isn't there, like, a high percentage of the oceans are unexplored? Oh, yeah. We only know, like, 2% of it. It's crazy. <laughs> so, I would I would not be surprised. I'm, like, a huge, also a huge Shark Week fan. Or at least I used to be. Now it's kind of, eh. But, yeah, anything... With a big predator. When you said squid shark, I was like, come come again now. <laughs> I want a squid shark. I want to see a real squid shark. It sounds terrifying. <laughs> like those squids with the huge eyes. Just imagining like a terrifying set of jaws on that. Like yeah. shivering. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I would lose my mind. Because that's like one of my biggest fears is being like in a tank with a shark. Obviously, that's just... A situation I won't be in, but like yeah. <laughs> as a kid, that always terrified me. Oh yeah, I mean they have those things where they're like, you can swim with sharks when you're at the Bahamas or whatever, and, and like, people nah. are actually doing that. And I'm like, no, hell nah. no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I follow this um, one person on Instagram, and I think she's like a I don't I don't know she 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 works with animals, and she'll be just in the water with these tiger sharks and she'll just kind of bump their noses to move them around if they start coming at her. I'm like, no, I'm all right. <laughs> Not for me. Yeah, she's like a superhero, just like on her own, like just like hanging out with sharks like they're cats. Like I can't. <laughs> Couldn't be me. Connor, you're up. All right. Up. I went a much different route with this. It's much more traditional horror sort well, of i expect nothing less from you yeah and it's it's called the hitchhiker another short story coming your way oh hell yeah did you press the button alder asked through gritted teeth from the passenger seat adriana's face illuminated in the night's darkness by the vehicle's dashboard display looked back at him Alder let the silence sit as he waited for his girlfriend to answer. Maybe the moment's gravity would convince her to undo her action, lock the car's doors again, and speed away from the place they pulled over at. Just be cool, Adriana replied. It's only a big deal if you make it one. Adriana, don't. But she was already smiling as she turned in the direction of the station wagon's back seat. With his jaw clenched tight, Alder raised a tired arm and took hold of the rearview mirror, angling it just in time to see the back seat door swinging open. A dark shape, clad in rippled, light-washed jeans, seated itself and clunked the door shut. The dark shape's face was still shrouded in the night's obscurity, but the newcomer had long black hair falling to their white t-shirt-covered shoulders. The figure exhaled quietly, and a crowd of chills dispelled down Alder's spine. Hi there, Adriana said, chewing Alder's hand from the mirror as she adjusted it back to its original position. The backseat guest said nothing, but Alder turned his face towards his window and thought he saw the figure nod their head in salutation from his periphery. 
All Alder could think of was how bad he wanted to be anywhere but in the car at this very moment. To Adriana, everything always seemed to be a divine sign of something Alder couldn't comprehend. She had the tendency to inform him that his third eye needed opening or that his chakras needed realigning. It was one of the many quirks Alder attributed to his girlfriend and one of several he found himself frequently annoyed with. Things were fine and dandy when she was crooning over their fateful meeting two years ago, talking about how their names started with the same letters or the fact that they clicked right away despite Mercury being in retrograde on the very day of their meeting. Whatever the case was, Alder was not happy when she did things like this, making thoughtless, risky decisions for both of them. It had become a pattern, and though maybe considered extreme to many, the current cross-country road trip they were on was a final audition of sorts. He was at the age when forever began to make its way into the relationship conversation, and he wasn't sure he could spend it with Adriana. They hadn't traveled much together, but Alder heard that traveling was as worthy a test as any of relationship's fortitude. If him and Adriana were to come out the other end together, this trip had to go over smoothly. Adriana apparently had other plans for the future, though, even if she didn't know it. Tonight's brand of her impulsiveness, opening their doors to a hitchhiker. Headed anywhere specific? Adriana asked, breaking the silence after a few minutes of driving. Alder, feeling the car's forward motion as they traversed over a few bumps in the highway, heard the hitchhiker clear their throat before the deepest voice he'd ever heard spoke a single word. West. A lot of things are west, Alder pondered aloud. I will let you know when it's time, the hitchhiker replied before falling silent again. Opposites tend to attract, and Adriana was certainly on the opposing end of the spectrum from Alder. She was everything he wasn't in being an uncontainable and unapologetic extrovert. In his introversion, Alder found a special interest in certain subjects, especially that of urban legends. One he'd come across was tied to the lightless stretch of highway he found himself speeding down with Adriana and the dark stranger in the back seat, Highway 87 in Montana. The tale was deemed the hitchhiker of Black Horse Lake. The fact that this chance meeting was so on the nose made Alder think that Adriana had somehow planned a practical joke on him. For what, he wondered? To make herself laugh? To prove some point? Either way, it was said that on this very highway, drivers would come across a man in jeans with jet black hair. Upon their approach, the figure would slam into the oncoming driver's windshields. When those drivers exited their vehicles to check on the ghostly victim, the man was nowhere to be found, and there was no damage done. The Black Horse Lake hitchhiker seemed to be in some purgatory-like cycle, unendingly hurling himself into windshields. With that being the case, the situation didn't seem to fit the bill. See, Alder thought to himself, nothing to be worried about. Or everyone else was smart enough to keep going, but Adriana was dumb enough to pull over. His inner turmoil was interrupted by a ping from the dash display. They were almost out of gas. A new anxiety blossomed in Alder's chest as a new scenario played out in his head. Him and Adriana stuck with this mysterious stranger in the middle of a long stretch of highway. But like one of the many destined signals Adriana was always prattling on about, a sign informed them that a rest stop lay half a mile ahead. They crested a small hill before the pull-off's bright lights called to them through the nighttime air. Adriana maneuvered the car through the exit into the parking lot before sidling up to a fuel pump. She got out of the car and began pumping gas on Alder's side before he got out and joined her outside. Mind if we have a word, he asked. About what, Adriana asked. Just say what you have to say. Alder lowered his voice to a whisper. Not with him right there, he said, tilting his head in the direction of the hitchhiker. Where then, she asked. Alder peered around the parking lot before settling on the rest stop's mini-mart. Come to the bathroom with me, okay, he requested. 
Before giving Adriana a chance to accept his offer, he knocked on the hitchhiker's window. We're going to head inside, Alter said. Do you need anything? The hitchhiker said nothing, only shook his head. The fuel pump clicked, and Alder removed it before taking Adriana by the arm and guiding her into the building. Once through the door, he pulled her behind a rack of chip bags, out of sight from the station wagon. What are you doing, Alder? she asked. What am I doing? What the hell are you doing? What are you talking about? You picked up a hitchhiker, Adriana. Now we're stuck with him. Oh, that? We'll be fine, she said, waving a hand towards Alder as if whisking their predicament away. And all the roads to do it on, Alder hissed. What does Route 87 have to do with picking up a hitchhiker? You don't remember the story about the Montana hitchhiker, Alder asked? Black Horse Lake? The one I told you about before we left? She didn't even pretend to think about it. Adriana only shook her head in the negative. You were probably too busy picking your outfit based on your horoscope again, Alder said under his breath. What? she asked. Nothing. She sighed. Well, if you're so worked up about this, you can just tell him that we're leaving him here. Or you can trick him into getting out of the car so we can drive away without him or something. Alder shook his head. That's... He paused. That's actually not a bad idea. Adriana shrugged. That settles it then. Now let's go. Keys in hand, Adriana led the way as Alder followed behind her. Upon their approach, Adriana stopped in her tracks, stuck to the spot. Alder nearly walked into her from behind. What are you... Alder started. But when he looked towards the station wagon, he saw what gave Adriana pause. The hitchhiker was in the driver's seat, and the car was running again. But the keys, Adriana said. How could he? Her inquiry was cut off as the tires squealed against the pavement. The last Alder saw of the hitchhiker was the man's wide eyes and a crooked smile before he sped away with the station wagon. Futile in their actions, Alder and Adriana chased the car until they were on the side of the highway. The stolen car crested a small hill before disappearing into the darkness. Now what? Alder asked. Suddenly, a loud horn sounded from their left. A pickup truck was bearing down on their position, headlights bright. I think he's stopping to pick us up, Adriana exclaimed. The situation was hopeless. Alder watched on as Adriana leapt into the oncoming right lane, waving her hands in the air in order to stop the oncoming truck. Maybe the driver could help them find the fleeing hitchhiker, or take them to a nearby police station. Maybe with two sets of waving arms, the truck would be sure to stop. Alder moved to his girlfriend's side, similarly waving his arms as the truck moved closer. 30 feet. I think they're slowing down, Adriana gasped. 20 feet. Are you sure? Alder yelled back, still waving. 10 feet. Are they going to stop? Adriana shouted. 5 feet. Before he could answer again, Alder felt an impact before he was soaring in the air, agony filling his every cell. He saw Adriana's airborne shape, limbs bent in every direction, blood already covering her torso as she flew next to him. After a near eternity, they both landed on the highway with a hard thud. Alder opened his eyes. I should be dead, he thought to himself. The indescribable pain had only lasted as long as he was in the air. He pulled himself to his feet and realized Adriana was already standing again as well. When Alder turned back to the rest stop, it was no longer there, as if it never had been. Through the darkness and by the moonlight, he could make out a Highway 87 sign ahead. Him and Adriana stood together as they saw another approaching vehicle. As if guided by an unseen hand, Adriana wordlessly ambled out onto the highway. Before he could tell himself not to, or even come to grips with what was happening, Alder found his legs pulling him out next to her as the oncoming car's brakes began to squeal. That's it. There it goes. There, yeah, they, they pretty much replaced 
a ghost who who hijacked their car. No. So are they like in like a time loop? Like yeah. kind of like their souls now take over his. Right. Exactly. With the with the like curse. And this is a real urban legend on Highway 87 in Montana. It said it's right by this. I think it's where a Native American reservation used to be. And it's right near Black Horse Lake along this highway. And all uh-huh. these people report this this Native American man who hitchhikes on this stretch of highway and just like slams into their car. And when they get out, like their vehicles are perfectly fine and the man is not there. And then they just kind of keep going on their merry way. But I was like, what if someone was dumb enough to stop and pick the guy up? What would happen? And that's just kind of where it went from there. Oh, I love it. I love it. What did you think, Lauren? Oh, I thought it was great. (laughs) (laughs) He has much more of a creative mind than I do. (laughs) That's what I was wondering, Lauren, what your writing style would be if you started writing. I was just Uh, curious. I see Connor's influence from Stephen King. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I had to write like a seven page essay last (laughs) week for grad school and I sat on the ground and cried. So (laughs) so sorry. Yeah, writing gives me like real bad anxiety so i think i'm I'm just gonna stick with the reading um but if i had to write something it would probably be a children's book i love that that's a very pure answer yeah. thank you that'd be great thanks <laughs> god that was so sick because i was like trying to figure it out i was like he's gonna throw me a curveball he's gonna throw me a curveball what is it what is it boom you got me and when your story alder was such an evil little person and my alder is the main character he is the protagonist and i was like am i now thinking of my alder differently because of your (laughs) alder do i not want to root for alder but the whole time i was like wait he gets he just gets stuck in this purgatory like time loop i did not do him any favors so maybe it was a good mindset to be in (laughs) dude that would be a hell just I know nonstop loop like that, and because like obviously like him and his girlfriend keep getting pulled to the middle of the road just to recreate it over and over and over again until wait until someone stops right. Uh, yeah, and then if they can figure it out and take their car, I guess they can escape it. And another part of it was I wanted to make sure to mention that they were sort of like a relationship in turmoil, and he made it a point to like think that he couldn't last forever with her, and now he's stuck forever with her. Just getting smacked by a car on the side of the highway. That's cruel. That's cruel. It is. (laughs) I hope that's not what you think about me. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that, Lauren. I didn't. (laughs) I'm over here questioning our relationship. (laughs) That's so funny because a lot of writers they do they channel a lot of their shit into their writing and like stuff they're going through so i could i could see that yeah yeah every time i read uh like connor's stuff (laughs) i'll look at him afterwards and i'll be like so am i based off of this character (laughs) and he's like no and i'm like right okay (laughs) it's a compliment lauren it's a compliment it is (laughs) it's all inspiration (laughs) yes oh my gosh you guys this was so fun it was this was i love just especially with your format with like the shared prompt it is so cool to see the different directions that people take things in like literally a single 
It was like a single sentence prompt, just a quick quote with a quit tag. And just to see how different our stories was and how awesome yours was and how they differed. It was, this was so cool. Dude, that's exactly why I do the prompts. Cause like, that's the beauty of writing and how creative everyone can be. It's like, you can take the same sentence and those are entirely different stories just from the one sentence. I would have loved to have seen Lauren do an <laughs> Akatar fanfic on that. <laughs> it is unfortunate. <laughs> Dang it. We've been robbed. <laughs> it would have been awful. <laughs> you don't want to read that. No, it just means that we need to have you back. Oh. There we go. Or the the volume two of this podcast episode will be Lauren's fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this was so great. I hope like we're buddies in real life now. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Thanks Heck for yes. having us. Listen, I love meeting new people. So I thought this was so much fun. Dude, it's so hard to meet like make friends as an adult. I don't know if you oh. guys the same way. We say this all the time, like seriously, all the time. When you get to your like 20s, you it's just so hard to like keep friends. I mean, like you have like you have your friends, but it's just like hard because everyone's doing different yeah, things. There's and you're no like, new social structures that are like here. You're going to be stuck to these X amount of people for this long and you're going to have to get to know them. And maybe coincidentally, you'll you'll be friends with them like no that just doesn't that's that's not how life works yeah. once you're done with college and everything so yeah so lauren true. was like if i lived alone i would have bumble and it wouldn't be for the relationship part i would just look for friends on on dating sites <laughs> <laughs> that's what i would do <laughs> so much well thank you guys so much this was a freaking blast thanks, well, for, thanks having for having us, us. yeah hi guys bye, bye. Catch you later.